I'm not going to preach a sermon, and I just want to talk to you a little while. But base what I said, what I say on John 13:17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Two ifs takes both of them. If you know these things, Jesus said, things I've told. Uh, knowing them won't make you happy. Two ifs. If you do them. And then I turn back to Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. Ezekiel, uh, uh, God said to him, Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh. Now this is, uh, going to church has been about the same all through the years. And they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart <coughs> goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. The tragedy of going to church and going through the motions and not meaning it. And when this cometh to pass, the Lord will come. They shall know that a prophet hath been among them. My ambition through these years has been that whatever they do about it, and I can't do much about that, I want them so to preach. That when it's all over, they'll have to say we had a prophet among us. That's ought to be the ambition, it seems to me, of any preacher. And the James, you know, says if we hear it and don't do it. Same thing again, James 1, 22, 25. Like a man looking at himself in the mirror and straightway forgets what manner of person he is. Uh, you don't have to have a dictionary to understand that. These simple verses are spoken in monosyllables. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You have human personality there. The intellect, if you know these things, that's the head. Emotions, that's the heart. And hand, that's the will. It takes all three to do the will of God. With the head, with the heart, with the hand. If you know, you've got to know it. Uh, we have an amazing lot of Bible knowledge today with all the schools and the TV and everything else. But I don't see many happy Christians. Just between you and me. Uh, it doesn't say if you know these things, happy are ye, and stop there. Happy are ye if ye obey them. Now these words come from a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But in spite of all his tribulation, and you say, I don't understand this. The Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. And yet Jesus said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? That's right. He went the way that we had to go. I don't explain all this. I take it and thank God for it. But he didn't go around with a glorified grin on his face. He went around with a deep joy of God the Father in his heart. But it was victorious and triumphant. The early Christians were in trouble up to their ears and in jail most of the time. And yet they could cry out from prisons, Rejoice in the Lord always. And for fear we didn't get it right the first time, and again I say, rejoice. A revival is a resurgence of Christian joy. Restoring to me the joy of thy salvation. 
When Philip had his great revival, there was joy in that city. And then it says, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. It doesn't say that Peter was glad when he looked at James and uh, John when he looked at Bartholomew. You start looking around at church members, you'll get more miserable than you are. But when they looked at the Lord, they got happy. And that's the way it ought to be. Uh, whereas it has been said by uh, Dr. Finney, the great revivalist, whereas mind and conscience may assent to the truth, when revival comes, obedience to truth is the one thing that matters. And he's the one that gave us that great definition of a revival. A revival is nothing less than a new beginning of obedience to God. Just that. We don't ordinarily put it like that. Not a lot of hooping and hollering and people joining the church, all the rest of it. Just obedience to God. And that word obey, we've taken it out of everything some time ago. The principal of the school said, don't, don't ask the kids to obey. That's how. Tell them to cooperate, maybe, but not obey. What my father said was uh, not cooperate. Uh, if I hadn't cooperated, he'd operate. <laughs> Ezekiel ministered in an evil time. And this is an evil time. And his lot was to prophesy to a generation that listened after a fashion. I've just read about it. Likened him to one with a pleasant voice and told others, but did nothing absolutely about the message. And we still have them. James warns us of the same thing. The privilege of hearing it, uh, the response we, responsibility we have of doing it, and the penalty if we don't do it. It's all wrapped up in that passage. And then we read, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah. This is Jesus. Prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. Now, I appreciate good people coming up and saying I enjoyed the sermon, but I, I almost would rather they wouldn't say that. Because... Uh, some of them ought to be crying and some of them ought to be under conviction and some of them ought to be mad. Uh, when, when we preach this book like it reads, folks go out either sad, mad, or glad, one of the three. But anything's better than nothing. And just going out is the worst thing in the world when nothing takes place. And so I feel like saying, well, I appreciate what you mean by that, but what are you going to do about what I've just preached about? That's all that matters in the long run. It's a serious thing to be setting sin of the saints is hearing without doing to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him that is sin. They heard the preacher, complimented and invited others to hear him, did nothing about it, and we do the same thing. But it'll do something to us, that sort of attitude. The only thing God requires of you, but he does require it, it is required of stewards, and every Christian's a steward. Uh, of the grace of God, that a man be found faithful. Now, anybody can do that. That's fair and honest. God's uh, making it very plain. But he doesn't suggest it. He demands it. He requires it. Jesus called what he had to require of his commandments. And that's what we'd better pay close attention to, it seems to me. And I find that if you will be true to God, do the best you can. Sometimes you feel like you flopped and fell all over the place, but be faithful. God will honor it. 
When I started out as a boy, 12 years old, I preached the gospel. Grew up between Hickory and Shelby, North Carolina, in the foothills of the mountain. Top of a hill that you could see the lights at five towns of a night on one side and Grandfather and Table Rock in the daytime on the other. Up on top of a hill. Hickory, North Carolina, rural free delivery, Route 1. I tell you, I, I, well, I didn't know anything. I didn't even suspect anything when I was growing up. <laughs> Completely hillbilly. And they called me over to the First Baptist Church of Shelby when they heard this boy going around preaching. Called me over there to preach one night, Sunday night. Scared me to death. Shelby is quite a Baptist town. They have a wonderful church there, the First Baptist Church. They asked me to come. My father and I hadn't been around much. I hadn't been around any. And we weren't dressed according to the latest in haberdashery, I'm quite sure. I wore not suspenders, but galluses. That's what they used to call them. I got over there, some of the kids laughed at me because I looked what I was, countryfied. And it uh, embarrassed me a little bit. But that night we had the place running over with people. And I had to stand on a slick table because they couldn't see me well from the pulpit. And I did the best they could. They've been trying to do that for 68 years since. That was when I was 12. And uh, God will try you out sometimes. I have known some wonderful preachers. One of them was Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who influenced me so much a few years ago. A brilliant man. Oh, a mighty teacher of the Word of God. And he got, he got to know me. I was writing for his magazine. And he was sick. Going to be in bed over the weekend. He said, there's a Baptist boy preacher down in North Carolina. Young preacher down there. Somewhere, see if you can find him having a preach on his Sunday. Well, that scared me again. Tenth Presbyterian Church, Philadelphia. Well, of course, I borrowed somebody's suitcase and took over for Philadelphia. Got up there and on Sunday went to church. And they had a great big oversized chair, too big for a barn house. And he was a big man. And I sat there with my feet dangling off like a little Lord Fauntleroy. And I got up and did the best I could. That's all God ever required. And the organist, the lady, came up to me after the service and said, Well, that was like a drink of cold water on a hot day. Bless my soul. Cheered me up, made me feel good. And they asked me over then, as time went on, and I began to get about over the country. Great youth rally at Moody Bible Institute. My, they had an army of young people there from all about. You never saw such a crowd. And I was stupid enough to talk about Baruch over there in the book of Jeremiah. Well, these kids had never heard of Baruch, and I almost wished I hadn't heard of him when I tried to preach about him that night. And I got halfway through. You preachers ever just mire up completely in a sermon? It didn't quite get out, hardly. And I said, Lord, if you will get me through this sermon, I'll give old brother Baruch a vacation for the rest of his life. I'll not preach about him again. I did the best I could. A year later, the young lady came up to me and said, do you remember preaching about Baruch in Chicago? And I dropped my head and said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she said, that was the turning point in my life. And I said, Lord, if you can use that sermon, I'm not going to get out of the heart about any sermon. And right in my home church, First Baptist Greensboro, and we have a wonderful church there, uh, 
the young evangelist, well, he's older now, he used to be quite a millionaire, and he is today. But he was holding a meeting in our church. Howard, is it Howard? But uh, he had to go home. He had some emergency in the family. And I had to take Friday night, and that's hard to do after you had another preacher all week, and you have to sort of wind up. And would you believe it, that is the night that Miss America was to be there. Now, if you could have seen me and Miss America sitting in the pulpit, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I sat there and I said, Lord, what kind of a fix am I in this time? Why, they've all come to see this gal. Nobody wants to hear me preach. But you don't say that long if you're going to do the will of God. Got up and talked on the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the pastor's young daughter walked down the aisle that night. And they called me up there. She's married and living in some other state now. But he and his wife called me up and his wife was in tears. They got a letter from her and she was telling all about that over again. It was in advance having a preach. And I gave my life to the Lord. You see, uh, you, you only see one half of the coin sometimes. That's what gets us into trouble. You never saw a one-sided quarter in your life. Everyone's got two sides. The sovereignty of God and man's responsibility, that's an illustration of it. A Calvary and the resurrection, heaven and hell, all the way through the coinage of God, it's always got two sides. And you can save yourself a lot of trouble if you remember there's another side to it. And God wants us to be careful about our solemn responsibility. I did the best I could. There isn't anybody in here tonight but can do that. But you've got to mean business with Almighty God. And uh, I find that one reason that we, 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 we are so tired of going to church, we're going to church so much, we take it as a matter of course. My friend, it's a serious thing to go to the house of God. It's a gladsome thing indeed. But we're too used to it. I ran across a verse in the Magnificat that Mary sang over there in the Gospels. I'd read it many times, but there again the verse jumped out and grabbed me. He filleth the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. Did you know that was in the Bible? As much as I read it, I had never seen that. The hungry folks, and I said, well, I've seen that happen in church every Sunday morning. Back there's old Sister Smith, bless her heart. She's not, uh, she's not maybe too well educated, but she loved God. She came for a blessing that morning. She got it. So she had a hard, uh, hungry heart. And there's Deacon so-and-so. He's rich and increased with goods and doesn't need a thing in the world. He put up with it. He endured the sermon. And now I can watch him go out. And the, the rich, he had sent empty away. He didn't come for anything. didn't get anything. So how are you going out of here tonight? What would you come for, anyhow? I'd be interested in how folks tell the truth about why they came to church tonight. Why did you come? What are you looking for? You know the Lord's there. He said you would be. That would excite us to death. I'm, I, when, you're, when you're 81 and a half years old, you know, you begin to realize that you, you don't have long to say what you've got to say. And uh, I urge upon you tonight, that you're not going to be a happy Christian unless you do the will of God in practical, everyday obedience. 
We've become a generation of spectators. We sit in the stadium and look on. We sit at the movies and look on. We sit before television and look on. And we come to church and look on. And God forbid that we go out comparing one preacher with another. Well, what do you think of him? I heard the president of Wheaton College who died in the pulpit. I heard him at Winona Lake one year saying, when I was a young fellow and went to church to the old Bible conferences, I didn't want to speak to anybody after the service. I wanted to go and pray. So now we come out and everybody says, well, how'd you like him? Paul, Cephas, and Apollos. How'd you like him? But him doesn't matter much. But if he preaches the word of God, you've got to settle with that. The trouble tonight is that every one of us, no matter how many you run around with now, there's a day coming, friend, when there won't be anybody but you and God. How about that? You've got a date coming up. It's a date with deity and an appointment with the Almighty, and you can't dodge it. It may not be in your little notebook, but it's in his big book. We've got a date coming up. Jimmy Carter tells about how he, after he finished training in the Naval Training School, he went to old Admiral Rickover hoping for a promotion. Well, the old Admiral Rickover was a stormy petrel if ever there was one in the Navy. He said, he turned to me and said, what were your grades? Jimmy said, they weren't uh, so good. They weren't the worst, but they sure weren't the best. And I told him, well, they were fair, I suppose. Then he said, did you do your best? And I said, no, Admiral, I'll have to confess. I didn't do my best. And then he wheeled in his chair and looked me in the eye and asked one question. Why not? He said, I couldn't think of anything to say and backed out of that room and couldn't give him an answer. One of these days we get to appear before God and if he asked me to do my best, I, Lord knows I'll have to say, no, God, I'm ashamed of myself. I didn't do my best. And he might ask, why not? And that bothers me. Does it ever bother you? You don't have to be a preacher for that to bother you as a Christian. We've all got to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for the deeds done in the body. Why not the best? Have I done my best for Jesus? I know I haven't. I've fallen far short. But I am aware of it and I try to improve it. How are you fixed on that? It's a serious thing to go to the house of God because there's nothing else quite like it. We've got some preachers in some pulpits who don't believe the Word of God like they used to. And a lot of folks who think all you have to do is be a church member to go to heaven. And no church membership, I don't care which one it's in, ever gets you one foot near heaven if you're not born from above and washed in the blood and walking with Jesus in obedience and service. Uh, uh, how are you fixed about that tonight? Now, this meeting's already four down and three to go. That's how fast. And this is the longest I stay anywhere because I don't know when I've stayed this long. They're all four-day meetings now. We'll be next week. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I, I don't stay long. I'm go I was in Huntsville, Alabama last week and I'm going to Judson Baptist next week and, and over there in 
Tennessee again, the city, can't think of the name of it now, but uh, they, they make them so short. I used to stay two weeks. Billy Sunday used to stay six weeks. Billy Graham's are down to a week now, wherever he goes. Everybody's in a hurry. It's a serious time. And uh, I know I don't have very long to do whatever I'm doing. I'm, I'm not trying to preach tonight. I just want to get this word off of my chest. I feel like that tonight something has urged me and has from the beginning. I said, Lord, I'm not going to use that outline if I take it there because uh, I, I'm not trying to read something out of a book. I'm trying to say something out of my heart. You've heard enough sermons to turn the world upside down. No, you don't have to be a preacher. We're going to have to give account, friends, for being Americans with the privilege of hearing the gospel. Plenty of places in this world would give anything if they could hear it. And uh, I don't know what we ought to do about all this that they're arguing about now. I certainly think we ought to be ready for the devil's devices, whatever it is, militarily and otherwise, because we better be ready to back up our words that we can defend ourselves if necessary. But at the same time, nothing we can do will avail anything unless this nation turns to God. And we're in a fix tonight. I'm proud I'm an American. This is the best patch of dirt there is anywhere on God's earth today. They're trying to get out of everywhere else and trying to get in over here. Yeah. And I thank God for it and I'm proud of it, but I'm bothered about the way it's going. The way the families and the homes are breaking up and the godlessness that prevails. And uh, it, it bothers me. There's so little I feel like that I can do. But if we could all get bothered about it. Now I don't mean just uneasy about it but concerned with a holy burden like the prophets had of old I believe God would do something you don't know where to start you could start right in this church what God wants to do uh, you, we got more folks here tonight that were present when two of the greatest characters preachers of all time got saved there weren't this many around when John Wesley got converted and his heart was warmed at Alder's Gate and there weren't this many pe people present when a young Englishman under conviction of sin started out and got in a snowstorm, couldn't get to the church he went to, got to another and sat up there in the balcony and they had a substitute preacher there and he didn't know how to preach. And he got up there and looked up and said, young man, you're in trouble. Look to Jesus. Look, look. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon looked. And he said, I could have looked my eyes away. It didn't take much of earthly circumstance to make a marvelous meeting. When God and people get together, something happens, folks. And I, I, I long to see, and I can get in some churches today that are really going places. First Church Orlando not long ago. Uh, uh, things are happening in many of them. Bellevue and Memphis. And, uh, there are preachers that are seeing things happen. And church members are getting saved. Some of them have been church members for years. They have to be baptized again. Not again, they've never been baptized. If they hadn't been baptized because they've been born again. But everything's in such a mess. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can do what Jesus said to do. You can make up your mind that you're going to do the will of God as best you know how and get at it. Some of you have to give up a few things and start doing a few things. You may have to get right with 
somebody you're mad at and it's mad at you. Like that preacher walked down the aisle some time ago in a meeting, turned and faced the folks and said, I want to confess the ungodly things I've said about our former pastor. The woman, a teacher of a Bible class, she said she taught for 10 years before she ever got right as God. Went down there to an old Methodist soldier and said, Lord, I, I want to get right. God said, you, you can't until you... Uh, she said, I'll be a missionary. Go anywhere. Go to China. Go to Africa. God said, I don't want you to. I want you to get right with Susie right here in the church. She said, I'd rather have gone to Africa than get right with Susie. But that's what it takes. Husband and wife, you all getting along all right in the home? Or is it a strained relationship and God knows it? That's the disgrace of America today, the broken homes. More and more with every week as it goes by. I simply felt like I ought to bring this from my own heart to you tonight. And uh, uh, we don't have to take up a certain amount of time anyhow. I think sometimes we preach too much and don't give folks a chance. I want to talk. I preached when I was here before on the Lordship of Christ. And I'll probably do it one of the remaining nights do it everywhere I go, not because it's a great sermon. I haven't got any great sermons. It's the greatest subject possible. You get, you, you do something about the Lordship of Christ and you're all right. You'll be right all the way down the line. If you don't do something about it, you'll be wrong all the way down the line. So I hope you will be here. But I'd like to ask you tonight, this old song, I think we need to get a move on. I am resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delight. Has that got you? Are you charmed by something out in this world? Things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have allured my sight. I see something better, Lord. I'm resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He's the true one, the just one. He has the words of life. And then I'm resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Hear what he saith, do what he willeth. He's the living way. I'm resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me. Foes may beset me. They sure will. The devil will give you plenty of trouble if you start out following Jesus Christ in dead earnest. You're in for trouble. I'm not wearing myself out preaching a sanctified picnic all over the country. I am resolved and who will go with me? Come friends without delay. I don't often leave the pulpit and stand in invitation anymore so I have to conserve my energy in order to keep going. But I want to stand down here tonight and I want us to sing this. I wonder how many of you would not don't do it to make me feel good. That would make it worse than ever. But how many would be willing to come down here and take my hand and say bye, Brother Havner? Your sermons haven't gone in one ear and out the other. This is the first time it'll hold for this one. I mean before God and before men to do something about what I'm hearing this week. I promise God, I promise you. I'm not going to accept it as information and be dismissed. I promise God, because I feel like that having heard the message and the word of what I ought to do, God expects me to do something about it.